Welcome to the new era by Web3 Connect. We're helping you break barriers and build brands in Web3, the next generation of internet. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Web3, the new era. Sorry we missed an episode last week due to some technical issues, but we are back. And today we're interviewing Evan Mann, aka Conversations with Evan over on TikTok, which is where I originally found his content. Evan is a storyteller, actor by trade, and gifted communicator, which allows him to deeply connect with people through a screen and explain complex topics in a way that's relatable and understood by everyone. He's an independent content creator, co-host on Crypto Radio Network, contributor to The Faceless Many, and he wears many more hats, which he will explain further during the interview. If you want to hear more from Evan, make sure to check out his socials linked in the show notes. But with all of that said, let's get into it. Alrighty, and we are live. We have Evan Mann here with us today. And I first found him on TikTok, but he is a jack of many trades in the Web3 space. So thank you for joining us, Evan. I will pass it over to you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thank you guys so much for having me. It is a real pleasure. My name, as you said, is Evan Mann. I am a storyteller and an artist in the medium of communication. I'm an actor by trade, but now I apply my craft in Web3, helping technical people explain the ideas that so often get lost in their mouths and helping folks who don't see themselves as techies or investors or traditional finance folks like young people and your grandma who just heard about Bitcoin understand what this technology will do, crypto beyond currency, NFTs beyond JPEGs that will matter to them in their daily lives a couple years from now and how they can get involved to start making a difference. A couple of the projects that I work on are my personal platform, Conversations with Evan, where I host conversations for people at all levels of experience in this space. I'm a co-host on the first nationally syndicated crypto radio show, Crypto Radio Network. I am the Scrivener at The Faceless Many, a co-founder there for Faceless Crypto's initiative to lead the financial revolution and empower The Faceless Many. We do NFT projects. We've launched in the metaverse, always free community and education. And I am the NFT project lead at Valorize DAO, which you haven't heard about yet, but I'm sure you'll hear about soon. It's sort of like the, uh, the WordPress of Web3, whereas WordPress helps you establish a website with no code solutions. Valorize will help you or your community community set up a token with no coding experience and great white glove service. I'm very, very excited about it. And then beyond that, I, uh, I just take every opportunity I can to advise people in the space. I like to help other NFT projects, other DAOs, um, just see where I can listen, where I can learn, where I can add value. It's something I love to do. I really believe that the loudest voices in our space are not always <laughs> the most helpful. And it's really imperative if this technology is going to reach its potential to change the lives of regular people like you and me, everyone listening, that we tell a better story. And I, I think that starts with all of us, people with a platform. So that's that's what I'm doing here today. You mentioned something that really caught my ear, uh, Valorize, right? That was the like the governance token for these different communities, or you guys would help them create that governance token. Is that correct? That's right. No code token solutions for creators and communities who want to become DAOs or Web3 native organizations. That's 
pretty awesome. Um, I am curious because I know there's a ton of different blockchains that people are constantly using. Do you prioritize any particular ones? So right now, Valorize is really focused on ERC-20 compatible tokens and blockchains. We are doing our own tokens as ERC-20, but we're exploring a lot of different token standards, and we believe the future is multi-chain and interoperable. We're working with that standard right now because it's got the most built-out infrastructure. It's the most well-tested, the most quote-unquote secure in that regard. Uh, But eventually, I absolutely think we would love to integrate token standards on any other blockchain where you might live. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's cool. And just another caveat to that is, is that that's one of those ideas that like, you know, (laughs) if you went back in time to 1990 and told your florist, hey, one day you're going to have a website, they probably would have said, what's a website? And if they knew what a website was, they would have looked at you like you were totally nuts. They they wouldn't have understood it. But, But websites are like the currency of... Web 2, the internet that we live on today. If you don't have a website, you don't have a web presence. And we believe at Valorize that tokens will be one part of the currency of Web 3 that gives people ownership in what they participate in. And that just like your florist has a website now, your florist will probably have a token in the future. And so we want to help make it easy for people. They don't have to go out and hire a dev, have any coding experience and and just can set up a great token that does what they need it to without any hassle. And so you're talking about kind of Web 2 versus Web 3. And I think that was probably one of the first TikToks I saw of yours was your explanation of Web 1 versus Web 2 versus Web 3. And it just made so much sense. And I've actually started to adopt some of how you define it when I explain it to others. I'm so honored. (laughs) <laughs> could you could you share with listeners like how at a very high level how you would sort of explain the difference between those things? Yeah, I love doing this. Thank you for asking. So the internet has always been the internet, right? We all know what the internet is, but because of how the internet has evolved, it's helpful to classify each of the stages differently. There's web three, what we're talking about today, but let, let's go back in time to web one. Think about if you were alive, 1990, AOL, dial-up internet, and that familiar sound of, you've got mail. The internet back then was this very open place that anyone could access, but it was largely read-only. You couldn't create things there unless you were a highly technical person with a, a really exclusive skill set. And once you got there, there just there wasn't anything to do. It was sort of like a, a vacant lot. Nobody had built anything yet. Fast forward to the 2000s and the 2010s especially, platforms like MySpace, eBay, Spotify, YouTube made it easy for regular people to get on the internet using a web browser totally for free and start writing, creating. You can sell, you can make art, you can talk to your friends, you can host a community, you can do all these things. So whereas web one was read only, web two was read and write or read and create. But the problem with web two is that you don't own most of the stuff that you create. You go to Facebook and you post and you post and you post and all you get in return are likes, maybe some shares. Uh, If you were a creator on a platform like TikTok, I have about 30,000 followers on that platform and I have generated almost a million uh, views that I can prove are unique. But I have made like $10 on that platform. I don't really own my place on that platform. They can ban me. If I leave the platform, I can't take those followers with me to a new one. So what Web3 aims to do 
is innovate ownership. Whereas the websites on Web2, the platforms own everything, you will own your data, you will own your content, and you will log into it using a key that allows you to take it with you. Uh, My friend Nick has a really helpful example. He says that Web3, you'll have what's called a, a public and a private key, which are sort of like a mailbox strapped to your chest. Imagine, if you will, that that like a mailbox, there's a slot where anybody who knows your public address can drop stuff in. It's free for them to send you things. But your private key is like the key to your mailbox. Only you can open that mailbox, take out what's inside and move it around. So too, private and public keys will allow us in Web3 to really own our data and profit from it. Is that helpful? Do you think I missed anything there? Dude, your your communication skills are absurd. That's, <laughs> I'm, I mean, I, I hear a lot about public private keys, and I I mean, having been in the space, obviously, I understand what they do. Yet nobody has brought that analogy up of like the mailbox that at least that I've heard. Yeah, I stole that from my friend Nick. Uh, his handle is N J N E E R, like engineer on TikTok. Brilliant guy, makes it simple. Uh, can I give you one more tidbit real quick that I think is helpful that I love people to steal? Absolutely, man. So a lot of your listeners who might be newer to the space or even old heads have heard the term wallet perhaps, as the interface that you use to interact with the blockchain, which is the ledger that holds all your cryptocurrency assets, your tokens and your non-fungible tokens, your NFTs. Those things, they, they don't physically exist anywhere. They're just bits of data encrypted on this ledger that tell the members of the, the blockchain, people like you and me who hold the assets, what they're entitled to use. This word wallet, it really grinds my gears. I understand why they use it, but I think it's such a misnomer. It, it encourages people to think of digital assets as having a place. They think, oh, wallet, that's where my Bitcoin is. But no, your Bitcoin doesn't physically exist anywhere. It's, it's data on the blockchain. Your wallet holds not your crypto it holds your keys. Your public and your private keys are in your wallet. Something that I think is really important to understand that that helps people start to grasp some of the deeper conversations, like when we talk about the advantages of digital currency versus physical currency. It is an advantage that Bitcoin doesn't physically exist anywhere because it means you don't need security guards to guard it. You don't need a bank vault. You can't steal it or forge it. It doesn't get ruined or destroyed over time, right? But that wallet, it's such a misnomer. It's so unhelpful. So if we're going to use the word wallet, at least remember that it doesn't hold your crypto. It holds your keys. That's beautifully said. And I think the reason that I say that in particular is a lot of people are very confused about what Web3 is because they have no clue what the blockchain infrastructure really is. They're bringing their Web2 brain to Web3 where on-chain anything doesn't mean anything to them because to them it's just like oh isn't it just stored online can i just right click copy copy save right it's like it's <laughs> it's, it's very yeah and i think the way that you describe the wallet too gives like more priority to the fact that your assets really are held on chain, not in some offline vault that you decide to just put on the blockchain whenever. Like it lives there is what you're saying. Is that right? I would say that it it's tough. What I would say, I, I, I don't I don't use that kind of language when I describe it to people. When I describe it to people, what I what I have found helpful in understanding it and explaining it is I compare the blockchain to a checkbook. I say 
that the blockchain is like a checkbook, but it's a checkbook that's public. Everyone can see it and no one can change it. It's immutable, which means it can't be forged. It's governed by something called a smart contract, which is sort of like a calculator. The way your calculator is programmed to do math, the smart contract is programmed to govern the data on the blockchain, the transactions there. And just like you can put two plus two into a calculator forever and it never makes a mistake because it never gets tired, it never gets greedy, uh, it never needs to sleep, the smart contract is able to errorlessly enforce the, the custody of the information on the blockchain. A lot of jargon there, but I, I find that people click with that analogy of a checkbook. And then it's easier for me to say, okay, but unlike a checkbook, you know, it exists as ones and zeros in computer land. It's not a physical checkbook, you know. Mm -hmm. Analogies are so important in this space, especially when trying to educate and onboard people from Web 2, because when something's foreign, it's really hard to wrap your mind around. Like it's just, it's way out there. Like you just said, a lot of jargon that people aren't familiar with sounds like another language sometimes. So when you can make it relatable and make it resonate with something that's just like normal for people on a day to day, it alleviates some of that fear of the unknown. And they're like, oh, well, that's actually much more simple than I thought it was. So I love how you do that. And I know you do a lot of that over on TikTok. So I'm curious to hear a little bit about your story in terms of how you started your TikTok. What was your intent when you first started out? And how has your TikTok sort of approach or content evolved over time? Great question. I came to TikTok as a consumer because I thought I could start creating in that medium. What I like about TikTok is that everybody's got one of these. I'm holding my smartphone. Everybody's got one of these. It's got a camera in it. It's got a microphone in it. And I am an actor by trade. My medium is communicating with people through a camera as if I was talking to them personally. I'm good at that. It's my skill set. Um, I have worked at it. And TikTok, what I liked about it is it makes it really easy for people who, you know, maybe don't have the budget or the technical skills to do YouTube or the time commitment to just start making videos about stuff that interests them and really connect to a, a following of people in a meaningful way. So I started exploring it as a consumer. And I actually, at that time, I was an investor in cryptocurrency. This is in 2020. But I was not really in to crypto. I didn't really understand blockchain, smart contracts, tokens, non-fungible tokens. I, I, I had some Bitcoin and I had some Ethereum since like 2017. That was it. And I was really surprised when I came to TikTok, pretty quickly, I started seeing content about cryptocurrency. And I was just lucky to see creators who emphasized a lot of the fundamentals. I saw some of the hype, hype people, some of the shills, but I interacted with content that really helped it click for me. The potential for this technology to impact the lives of regular people like me, first as investors with not much liquidity, but second as builders, as non-technical people who have a vision for a more egalitarian, regenerative future, how this could help us rewrite that system to something that benefits all of us. And I started interacting with my favorite creators. I saw how easy it was. The, the internet is like, and TikTok is like a big room where there's a party. I love big rooms and parties because some people, you know, they go to a party with 5,000 people and they think, oh my God, I'm never going to get to talk to the people I want there. No one's ever going to notice me. I'm never going to stand out. But <laughs> these people, they'll never find the party. When you are in a room full of people, 
you have such an opportunity to walk through a crowd and bump elbows with somebody that you would never normally talk to on the street. It's a great equalizer when you spill someone's drink and apologize to them and offer them your napkin and find yourself in conversation. And TikTok is like that room where in a comment section with just 50 other people, if you continue to show up, you can establish a relationship with these people that do not live near you. You can create proximity. It's a decentralized community for being a web two platform. It just, it just unites people all over the place around a common interest. And so from that, I found a number of crypto discords and most specifically the Faceless Crypto Discord community. It was founded by my friend, Mac Lorton. And in Faceless Crypto, I found a community that really is the epitome of quality over quantity. There were all these people talking about crypto beyond currency, NFTs beyond JPEGs. And I started to, at a very deep level, understand and engage with the technology. And as I learned more and started answering questions that I had been asking previously and became more confident with you know, my grasp of the resources in the space, I realized, oh, this is what I can start talking about on TikTok because a lot of people who are talking about it on TikTok are selling you something or they're not able to explain it in a way that regular people like me understand. I think I am a gifted communicator, but probably my greatest gift as a communicator is understanding just how many obstacles there are to communicating. I don't take it for granted that people will understand me, so I work really hard to simplify. And that that's how it started. And over time, it's changed. I would say I have felt more emboldened and empowered as I have become a builder in the space. I really have seen it as my mission, as somebody who knows more about this space and this technology than probably 99% of all people on earth and who understands it in a different way than the Lambo people, the moon boys. I feel it is my job. It gets me out of bed every morning to turn around on that mountain of Web3 and call out to the regular people to create a louder, more helpful narrative than when moon to show those people how we can all rise up together to create that better future. You know, so I guess that's what I see now. My goal is really to create a platform that is gives me the credibility to stand toe to toe with any shiller in this space and say, not call them out, but call them into a better conversation that says, hey, there is a better way. And at the same time, that points to the stuff that I am building that models one example of what that could look like. Long answer to a short question, but uh, it's something I'm very passionate about and, and uh, hope to do better all the time. Yeah, I love your approach. And it's very, it's very grounded in trying to create something better, pretty much for the entire world. And part of that is onboarding the right talent as well. And I think that your kind of focus in communicating to those people that are just totally unaware of it is it's crucial. I am curious, you mentioned that you wake up like every morning facing this mountain of Web3 and you're like, how can I push this space forward? Right now, you might have a good number of listeners just hearing you talk like what is like the advice or like words that you would have to them so that they can start building for themselves? Because I noticed that for you, your strength is... I mean, very obviously communicating. You're a tremendous communicator. And that strength you obviously leaned into as you've done talks, interviews, podcasts, etc. What would you say to anyone looking to get into the space? I would say the most important thing without a doubt is to find a community. It's one thing to be interested in something and spend every waking moment learning about it, but it's hard to find good resources in this space. And 
it's hard to even know which questions to ask when you first get here. So if you are new, or even if you are experienced, but if you're not plugged into a community of people like Faceless Crypto was for me, I would encourage you to find that community. And again, not a community that's chasing green candles, not a community that that sees money as the biggest part of this. That's like a finger pointing to the moon. You want to look for people that understand the wealth that is here in ways that have nothing to do with money, the tech, the community, the art, the identity, the storytelling, all of those things. And I would welcome you to check out Faceless Crypto. It's my favorite community. I spend time there. It's not an advertisement, but it's it's one that I know that's good. There are many of them. Uh, when you get in a community, though, what you do is you accelerate your ability to learn. All of a sudden, your 24 hours applied to learning this thing are multiplied by the number of people that are in the room who are also curious about it, and they're all talking together. It's a decentralized community of people all over the world who are working. And then what happens is, it doesn't matter what your skill set is. If you are a highly technical person, then there's probably a channel in your Discord for technical analysis. There's certainly one in mine for developers where you can ask your questions, share what you know, get plugged into deeper resources. If you're into DeFi, if you're into NFTs, if you're into art, if you are a female creator who wants to learn from another woman or femme, you can do that because you have a community of people around you. If you are a non-binary person, if you are a black or brown person, if you are differently abled, there are people in a community that look like you, that speak your language. And that's the best, best piece of advice I could possibly give anybody is find a community. If you don't have a community, come check out Faceless Crypto. When you look at my bio in the show notes, you'll see my link tree and you'll be able to find the Faceless Crypto Discord there. And even if that community is not for you, at least then you'll be in conversation with people who will be interested in helping you find a community that is the right fit. We'll get you hooked up. Yeah, I mean, finding a community is so crucial. And a lot of people I encounter on TikTok who are interested in getting involved in this space don't even know where to start to find communities to potentially like dabble in and see which one is their best fit. And Faceless Crypto is one of the ones I always sort of point them to. But you're kind of talking a lot about that and how there is some free education involved there. There's access to resources, open forum conversation to ask questions for both newbies and experts. If you had to just explain to listeners, like, what is Faceless Crypto, the Faceless Many? Like, how would you sort of describe, is it like a DAO or what is really your end goal with that initiative? Yeah. Faceless Crypto was founded on the belief that community should always be free and that education should never be behind a paywall. The mission of Faceless Crypto is to lead the financial revolution and empower the faceless many. And what that looks like is becoming a sort of Facebook meets Wikipedia, but make it crypto. And the secret sauce is community. The faceless many is one of the first steps on our roadmap. It's an NFT collection of 8,064 characters that represent the hero in all of us. And their fictional story is a parallel to our real world struggle as regular people leveraging the power of blockchain technology and community to rise up and write a more egalitarian future. And our goal for the last year and this year, we've launched two collections. We're actually in a big promo day today to start 
uh, talking about our third collection is to really demonstrate, like I've said, the potential for NFTs to do things uh, beyond just be a JPEG on a stick. The Faceless Many NFT, for example, is a fantastic piece of art. Uh, We have an Academy Award winning, Emmy Award winning artist who's a real master of graphic design and creation. But we also have a team of 10 architects who are technical, savvy in crypto. One of my co-founders owns a highly successful marketing agency. One of them is a consultant at an IT company that works with Fortune 500 tech companies. It's like, you know, it's a stacked team and a stacked community. And we're just sort of moving through the space. NFTs, uh, we've built space in the metaverse. We have partnered with Spatial.io to bring new experiences like ticketing for metaverse concerts. We hope to launch several collections featuring artists on other blockchains and from web too. We have a goal. My personal goal is to onboard about a million people to the metaverse this year to start building totally for free. We want to, when it's safe, uh, create a regulatory compliant publicly tradable token so that people can invest in our ecosystem. Uh, Right now, we have a proprietary reward system that is off-chain called RevPoints. That's more like a raffle ticket or like a carnival ticket that can be exchanged in our marketplace, earned just by holding, and exchanged in our marketplace for real-world prizes and experiences like Oculus Rifts, travel vouchers, conference experiences. We launched our second NFT collection, exclusively for RevPoints in partnership with three other fantastic NFT projects. So for the cost of their first Faceless Many NFT, all of our holders were able to buy these other NFTs for RevPoints and they could earn more RevPoints with them or turn around and sell them on the secondary market. Some of them sold for the equivalent of like $2,000. So our real long-term goal is to demonstrate proficiency in all these different areas of cryptocurrency, intellectual property, identity, storytelling, and give people a model for rising up um, as you know participants that way, but also as builders. We are bringing our community members on to positions of more responsibility to build out our community. Every project that I work on and advise, the first people that I plug in are the people that I have gotten to know through the faceless many and faceless crypto who want jobs in Web3 because I have seen them work as they've helped us build this. And eventually in the future, we envision this, this global community where people at all levels of experience, whether you're a Solidity developer or someone's grandma who just learned about Bitcoin, can come, can learn on our website, in our community, and get plugged in to start building. Whether you're a dev or a storyteller or just a regular person who who wants to enjoy the things we're building. <laughs> it's, it's very exciting. It's a lot. That was a lot, but that's absolutely incredible. Um, All of the different moving components of what you all are currently doing and looking to achieve in the short and long term. And the fact that you're making it so accessible for people at no cost, a lot of that, like that's just, it's very commendable. And I'm excited to see where you guys go with that. Yeah, I would love a future where we give back the cost that everyone has invested in us because our community fund has grown so large. Like, wouldn't that just be so cool to say to all our OG holders after we've delivered all this value, like also, you know, here's the money back. (laughs) Like, wouldn't that be so cool? (laughs) 
that would be incredibly cool. And that's one of the things I love most about this space is that everybody has the opportunity to really be an angel investor, a very early angel investor in these sort of tech startups that really are on the cusp, on the cutting edge of what the future is going to be in five to 10 years. And it's just so amazing to like see it all unfold and see that building happening right in front of our eyes and also being able to interact with the builders. Like you yourself are doing so much in the space and being able to have this candid conversation around it is really awesome because with traditional Web2 companies or corporations, like you can't just walk up to the C-suite of a corporation and have a conversation with them. Like most, most of them are not accessible. Right. Can I can I interrupt you really quickly just to emphasize that I have probably at least 15 hours worth of conversations every week with somebody who's building an incredible product or I have an idea for something. It just the the free exchange of information and information at a level that will like change the world. Some people are building, you know, like wallpaper and and an NFT that's going to flush a toilet, which is not like lame, but other people are building solutions that are going to end climate change or change the world. Do I do I have your permission to give you a, a, a 60 second pitch on an idea I had that I'd love for one of your listeners to steal if they're in a better position to implement it? Please. Okay. So have you heard of the MacArthur Foundation and their genius grant? No. Great. The MacArthur Foundation is a web two philanthropic organization that for a long time has distributed genius grants annually to leaders in their respective fields. These are, are globally recognized individuals like uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda or Albert Einstein, et cetera, et cetera. And the grant is given to 20 individuals each year. It's $625,000 one time to do you know their work with, whatever they want with. And that's pretty cool, right? $625,000 out the door. But wouldn't it be better if instead of paying these people one time, we could free them to do good for life. Imagine, if you will, a cryptocurrency fund where 20 geniuses are awarded a pool of assets worth about $625,000. Let's say it's $625,000 of UST, a stablecoin on the Terra blockchain that you can stake and earn at this time. 20% interest for the same risk you would earn uh, on holding a dollar. That would generate, uh, l- let me do my math here, that would generate enough money every year for those people to buy them groceries, to pay their rent, and buy all their family members Christmas presents every year for the rest of their lives. And then next year, we could set up those funds for 20 more people and 20 more people and 20 more people. And eventually you would just have this army of people that was freed to do good for life through the power of blockchain. Wouldn't that be great? When I get the time, I'm going to build it. But that's why I'm sharing this idea because I'm to your point all day, every day, ideas like this are either coming to me or coming to me through other people. And so I just don't have the time for all of them, frankly. So if you're listening uh, and you want to build that, you have my blessing and my permission. Go ahead and steal that tag because I think that's a pretty good tag. Free people to do good for life. And then, you know, just send me a postcard when you make it and let me come swim in your pool. (laughs) 
I love how open and candid you are about ideas and education and like we're all gonna make it type of type of vibe. Like you can't get any better than that. And I hope one of our listeners takes that and runs with it. Um, unless you get a chance to do it, but that would be absolutely insane. And that just kind of speaks towards how much like authentic, real world good could be created out of just this new technology that a lot of people are unfamiliar with. That has use cases, frankly, that many of us can't even imagine quite yet. And that's what's so incredible about the concept of NFTs and blockchain is that we're so, so early. Like what it's going to look like in 10 years is something that we probably can't even wrap our heads around. You know, I think that's one of the things that's a misnomer in this space too. I don't disagree with you. I think largely people are struggling to wrap their heads around it. But we need as a community, like a collective community, to amplify the people who are saying, for example, I don't, I don't know the future. But I hear speakers often, one who comes to mind is William Quigley. He's a co-founder of Wax.io. He used to be in charge of titles and licensing at Disney. He has a real great perspective on the potential for NFTs to innovate intellectual property. And his ideas are the kind of ideas that I believe in five years will be ubiquitous, will be the kind of ideas that allow regular people to use NFT technology and have very little to do with JPEGs. And so I steal his ideas all the time and I talk about them. And I go to conferences pretty regularly where I hear people on stage say what you just said. And I'm not picking on them or you. I think it's very important to say, I don't know what I don't know, uh, instead of making something up on the spot. I think that's the worst thing we can do. But I think it's equally important when we don't know to, to plug people into what they do know. Again, I don't know everything, but I've got a lot of ideas. My whole team has a lot of ideas. It, it, it just is bonkers to me that there are ETH NFTs selling tens of millions of dollars in volume and they're JPEGs on a stick. And we're over here on the Elrond blockchain doing things that people say regularly, I had no idea that was possible. That's a great idea. And so as much as we can, when you hear those ideas, I would encourage you listeners to promote those people and do what you can to amplify their voices beyond folks who are encouraging others to chase candles and flip their NFTs for a profit. I think that's so important. Evan, can you clarify what you... So I'm a little confused on what that idea was. You're talking about the Genius Grant and you can stake um, the rewards from that grant for like 20% interest, which would be enough to live off was your idea. What's what's the idea? How are you bringing value or, or money to the people that need it there? Well, the first idea is the premise that... Let's take... I, I use the example of Lin-Manuel Miranda. Would you agree that it is a better use of Lin-Manuel Miranda's time to create art than it is for him to work at a grocery store or as a personal trainer. I'm going to assume he's an artist, so I'm going to say art. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. If you don't know, Lin-Manuel Miranda, uh, he created the musicals Hamilton, oh, wow. In the Heights. He wrote the score for Moana. He's an inspiring artist who that is his passion. That is what he loves to do. That is where he is most alive and clearly gifted. So the premise is, or would you agree, it is a better use of Steve Jobs' time to market innovative tech than it would be for him to be uh, you know, a high school music teacher? The answer is probably yes, right? Absolutely. So the premise first is that people are, uh, I, 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 you know, in the world we live in, money is this, people believe that they need it for whatever reason. I personally don't believe that money is something anybody needs. Uh, if you want to eat at a cafe every day, you probably need money. But to survive and thrive in life, you really don't need it. But for the purposes of 
living in 2022 in the United States of America, you probably are pretty attached to the idea that you need money to buy groceries to get yourself rent. And that is why many people have a job. A lot of people have a job that they don't like because they believe they need to pay rent. They need to pay groceries. They have to support their family. And I'm not here to challenge that idea. It's really hard to challenge that idea. So what if instead we freed them from the need to work a job that was not helping them live into their full potential? The truth is that whoever you are, whatever your passion is, the greatest value that you can get personally from life and that society more broadly can get from your life would be if you were engaged fully in that life. So how can we free people to not worry about groceries, to not worry about rent, to not have to work a job they hate that causes them to feel depressed or disengaged or low energy or keeps them from contributing the most value they can to the world? My solution would be through cryptocurrency, decentralized finance that allows them to earn stable, predictable income. What is required to grow a plant is a seed. If you want to grow a potato, you plant a potato in the ground. If you want to grow a flower, you plant a flower seed. If you want to grow money, you plant a seed of money. DeFi and stablecoins specifically enable us to earn yield as high as 10 or 20% on an asset as risky as the US dollar. And I expect that a lot of these stablecoin yield mechanisms will not be as fruitful in years to come. You know, it's speculative that Anchor Protocol, the token I mentioned, UST, will continue to generate a 20% yield forever. But it's also pretty likely that people will continue to innovate decentralized finance and create new good solutions that will be more sustainable. And so I think it would be great for a whole organization to make its purpose finding those stable coin pools where for low risk, they can get a predictable return on their investment. And what better return on that investment than freeing these generative people, scientists, artists, thinkers, doers, helpers, to do good for life? It makes too much sense. And it, to, exactly to your point, and I see that now, that idea that people can't spend the time building what they have in their head if they have a cure for cancer. I mean, there is no one cure, whatever. If they have a cure for something massive or some innovative idea, you're kind of saying that they're so often boggled down by the monetary responsibilities of their life, which oftentimes there really is no way around. And you're saying, what if we could just create a fund where we could fund these people that we believe in that have these great visions and the capacity to execute it? What if we could free them of the financial worries and just let them do their thing? That's right. And the other billion dollar idea I would encourage someone to steal is you could make it a DAO. And you can make it the first project or one of many projects that rely on a common token. I would call it kindness token. You could abbreviate it as kind to fuel this ecosystem of givers and receivers, nonprofits, cause-based organizations from children's hospitals to this Do Good for Life Fund, where the more people that use the currency, the more valuable it becomes. As people come to the ecosystem, they convert their US dollars into the token. They use the token to invest in different causes. The excess liquidity creates an increase in value for the token, which generates value for shareholders, for organizations to do more good. And you could use the token, uh, a different token, perhaps a, a utility token or a governance token to give regular people, you know, right now it's a, it's a panel of people a very small organization that governs the selection of MacArthur geniuses and the money and what it will be used for. But if you had a, a governance token and a DAO structure, then people like you and me who were interested in this and wanted to help it along 
could use their token to have representation, to have a vote, to have a say in that governance, a meaningful portion of it, and earn from it also. I mean, and you could apply this idea to anything. Like You could apply this idea to trivial things like the television show The Bachelor. That's the whole concept behind Mad Reality Dow is to create a media network where people participate instead of just watching at home and saying, oh my gosh, she should have given Bradley the rose. You can actually vote. You can decide what happens because you own a say in the network because you have a token. What a wild concept. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm sure many of the listeners are thinking, where can I hear Evan talk more? Because your ideas are so inspiring. And I know you're also a host on Crypto Radio Network. Is that like, is it a podcast? Is it an actual live radio show? Like very curious to hear more about that. Yes. Yes to both. Right now, the best place to find it is in my link tree. You'll see a a link for it. It is very nascent, very new. Recording MetaMask is the leading sponsor. We're on about 11 stations in the United States live, and we're live every Saturday on those stations. But we stream through Anchor, through Spotify. You can find us on Twitter where we only have like 100 followers right now. We're, we're very new. We're trying to build a bank of shows first and a bank of network stations before we blow into you know the big promotional phase. We got to populate it first. We got to move from web one to web two <laughs> before we get to web three. So you you can find us on Twitter at CryptoNetRadio. You can find us online at CryptoRadioNetwork.io or in my link tree, you'll see it. It's got a blue logo and you can listen to all the episodes there. It's got a link to our anchor page, but you can also listen to me every week on Twitter. I do a show called Conversations with Evan at 12 p.m. Central Time, Wednesdays usually go for about two hours, usually have interviews with uh, leaders, thinkers, artists in the space, and give people an opportunity to ask them questions. I go live on TikTok, usually on Thursday nights around 7 or 8 p.m. Central. And I post on that platform also as Conversations with Evan. But you can just find me. I would encourage anybody who wants to hear more from me on Twitter at Evan underscore man. At the link tree that'll be posted below the show, you can find my Twitter, you can find my Instagram, you can find my TikTok. And I'm doing stuff like this all the time. I'm speaking on a panel tomorrow here in Memphis. I'm attending conferences and speaking there. My, my goal is to get more organized and make it easier for people to find me. But I'm right now just trying to produce, 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 share my thoughts as widely as possible with as many people as I can. And if you have an opportunity and you want to have me for a conversation or would like me to moderate or host a conversation, I promise I won't talk this much. (laughs) And I will ask good questions. Um, Get at me, let me know. No, it's beautiful. I I think the one thing that you appreciate more than a lot of people is that one, you have crazy ideas. Two, you're a ridiculously good communicator. And three, you seem to understand the, the amount of leverage that you can have just having digital online presences in different places and just constantly adding value left and right pretty much for free, right? Like, Yeah. Oh my gosh. Why would I charge people for my ideas and cause them to not pay? YouTube doesn't charge creators to post on their platform. It's in their best interest to have as many people as possible creating as many things as possible. And like YouTube, I want my ideas in as many minds and mouths as possible so that 30 years from now, I can go anywhere in America or the world. And if I'm hungry, I can knock on a door and someone will say, oh, it's Evan. Won't you come in for dinner? That's the thousand X investment. You know, forget about Bitcoin. Yeah. So slightly switching gears here, I am curious. So for you, I mean, I know you wear a ton of different hats. 
Can you touch on like what a day in the life looks like from you, either from when you jump on your computer to when you sign off? Like, what are your priorities at the moment? Like in the past day or week, I'm sure those change quite often. And how do you kind of manage the time for all those different roles while still like unplugging and still, I mean, doing things in real life? Because I've I've come to learn how crucial that balance is too. (laughs) (laughs) Frankly, right now, I don't. Uh, If I could answer this question with a GIF, it would be like, opening a closet door and a bunch of skeletons falling out. No, (laughs) I, you know, pray for me, hope for me. Uh, I really am working on this season as I have become so busy to incorporate more balance. I really struggle with that personally. You know, my, my days right now, um, today, because we're in the middle of promoting a third collection for the faceless many, the, the last 48 hours for me, I've had probably, you know, 10 to 20 hours of meetings or collaborative co-working on two or three different projects. I've had a call with a project that I am an advisor for. Um, I get up every morning and I try to preserve my time by going for a walk, going outside, having meditation, loving my partner. But usually the last 48 hours I'm on Discord, I'm on Twitter, checking what needs to be done for these projects. I'm posting I'm creating content. I usually create about 15 videos a week for TikTok, and I kind of have that nailed down. Um, But I haven't created any in the last five days, which tells you how busy the last five days have been. An ideal day for me, though, I use Calendly to manage my schedule, and that has helped me a ton. I have limited my availability for meetings to just four days a week and just 15 hours. I have my shows at the same time every week. I have meetings with the teams that I work with at the same time every week so I know when they are, I can make them predictable. And I'm really trying to move to a schedule that my colleague Michael, he's a great friend and mentor. He's the maestro at The Faceless Many, the one that has that marketing agency. He's a dad, he's the CEO of a marketing agency and he's a crypto co-founder and he he gets more stuff done than anybody I know and and I just admire his ability to create balance. Um, He says that he schedules time in blocks of managing and blocks of making. Um, And so I'm trying to do that, setting aside time for tasks like email that can be interrupted, tasks like, you know, responding to Twitter messages that can be interrupted. And then I try to block out chunks of time for making, for when I am writing, for when I am conceptualizing. I really try to have time every single day where I'm not doing anything not even, you know, meditating, not even exercising where I just, it's free time. And the only job I have is to just be. And I find in those spaces of time, the best ideas come to me. I try to love my partner, try to be with family, try to be with friends. And I really, the most meaningful thing for me is time offline. I really reconnect in the wilderness. I like to go off the grid and be unreachable. I have not been able to do that for a while. So for me, a balanced life, talk to me in six months. Hopefully I will have a more regular schedule. Hopefully I'll be taking more time off the grid, be more available for my family, my friends, my partner. But right now, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in that conversation about how we in this space can create balance. The joke that I heard the other day was someone said, Web3, the three stands for three full-time jobs. And uh, <laughs> I mean, that's definitely me right now. I was about to say, like people quit their nine to fives just to work twenty four seven in Web three. So it's yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> that's that's very much it right now. And I know we we had broached the topic of compensation. I don't want to derail you, but you know, I would say my experience with it has been. I'm I'm also very passionate about finding meaningful ways. Right now, a lot of my work 
Um, I absolutely do not make money that is commensurate with the value I provide 110%. I would say if you, if I was paid, if you put my hours divided by my pay on a you know spreadsheet, I am certainly making less than minimum wage for the things I am doing, the assets I'm creating, the value I'm contributing. And a lot of that is intentional, but a lot of that is, you know, I'm, I'm new to a lot of this work um, and need to have a better plan for it and passionate about finding a better way to do it to be compensated for it, you know, in an equal way. Yeah. I love that you're, you have this really interesting relationship with money that I don't see across a lot of other people. It's how can I provide value? And then money, 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 money seems to you, you just want to provide value without even thinking about the money. Maybe the money will catch up to you. Maybe it won't, but that's not, it doesn't even sound like it's a priority for you right now. It's just such a big distinction. At least that's from what you took, from what I'm understanding when you're talking to me right now. Well, no, it's accurate. I, uh, before I entered this space, I was actually really wrestling with my, I still am relationship to money in terms of, I, I really felt like money was the ultimate idol beyond religion, beyond nationality, beyond uh, status that could not be questioned in polite conversation and distracts people from truly experiencing the fullness of life. Henry David Thoreau said, wealth is the ability to fully experience life. And it, it has nothing to do with money. I know how to make fire with sticks. I know how to harvest and trap food. I know how to find water and I am okay at building shelter. If I lost all my investments today and the earth you know, exploded and I had to live that way, I honestly think I would be happier and would live a more abundant life. And so, you know, for me, I hear a lot of people in my circles, my professional circles say things like, you know, when they're talking about compensation and we know it's important that we all make money or, and we know it's about money. And I just don't identify with that. And, and I will say, I have a tremendous amount of privilege. I'm highly aware of that. I'm a able-bodied, healthy, white, male in the United States of America in the 21st century, there, there is nobody more privileged than I am. I'm the king of the world to be able to divorce myself from the need for money. I don't have children who depend on me. I know how to fast. You know, all those things are, are privileges that I am highly aware of and deeply grateful for. And the truth is that the reason I'm not demanding money for the things I'm doing is because, I mean, it's the same reason that I, I don't treat people like my competition. Some people push others down to try and get ahead. They see people as their competition and so cut themselves off from opportunities. The truth is, if all you're interested in money, you should be giving stuff away for free. You should be creating value. I believe that though I'm not earning a ton of money right now for the work I'm doing, I'm earning a lot of equity in terms of social capital and also like, you know, governance tokens, ownership in companies. If you check back in five years, if I don't get derailed, I will be worth tens of millions of dollars. There's no doubt in my mind. But yeah, I don't need it. I hope that once I, you know, get the money for groceries and rent and set my own self up to do good for life that that I'll be able to just give tons and tons and tons of money away. I just can't wait for it. Yeah, I mean, it's such an important concept to talk about and many people feel like the concept of money and income is very taboo and they feel very uncomfortable speaking about it and I know I've sort of had as I'm sure many others have had an internal struggle of you know do I stick with this sort of traditional job that may be paying you well but like you said it might not be something you're passionate about it might make you depressed whatever it is or do I take the risk and go towards something that I care about and let the value and the money follow you if that is meant to be but 
But if you're in a position, a privileged position to be able to follow your passion and do something non-traditional that might be against societal norms, then, you know, take that risk, take that, use that privilege and see where it takes you. So um, I love that lesson. So when I was doing some research on you prior to this episode, I saw on your Twitter that you had recently held a Twitter spaces with a crypto lawyer where you guys talked about regulation of NFTs in the US. Um, And I don't know the exact topics you guys covered. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. But I know a lot of people in this space are super unclear on tax laws around crypto and NFTs, as well as just the US government's stance regarding like what policy they'll be pushing for in the coming years. Are there like one or two interesting facts or lessons learned from that Twitter spaces that you'd be willing to share with us? Yeah, absolutely. And let me first shout out my friend, I Candy Vigilante. That's her handle on Twitter and on TikTok. Oh, it might not be on TikTok, but on Twitter, I Candy Vigilante. She was uh, in charge of coordinating that space with Alex Miejas. That's her lawyer. She's hosted a couple great spaces with him. And I have had a number of conversations with lawyers, with regulators, um, regulatory professionals at conferences, over whiskey, in Discord. It's something that me and my colleagues are really, really interested in. I think what's really important for, for people in this space to understand as investors and especially as project leaders or aspiring founders and builders is that there are many entities that are interested in regulating cryptocurrency and NFTs. Uh, from the SEC to state and national governing bodies. And many of them are not as familiar with cryptocurrency as you and I are. They're not as friendly to cryptocurrency as you and I are, and they have other interests that write their paychecks. This is not to spread FUD. Many of the regulatory professionals I speak with personally, the legislators, are very interested in you know doing this to benefit everyone. But they don't know what they don't know. So the first thing to understand is that there are many of them and they're catching up to us. So we need to have these conversations internally as a community first so that when they get here, we can offer our help to them to create legislation that really is helpful, that really is productive um, and doesn't set us back or doesn't disadvantage regular people. I would recommend that everybody get familiar with securities offerings, and specifically something called the Howey Test. There was a Supreme Court lawsuit where they established a precedent called the Howey Test. It was a a lawsuit that was interested in an orange grove where some people were earning passive income essentially from this grove without participating in any labor to it. They weren't contributing to it in any way. And this was classified ultimately as a security. And they established this test, the Howey test, to determine in the future more easily whether or not something is a security. And a lot of the cryptocurrencies that you see, a lot of the NFTs that you see are advertising passive yield. They're advertising staking to earn an income. And these things they fail the Howey test and they qualify as an investment contract and therefore will likely be considered a security and subject to registration requirements and regulations in the future. Some of the takeaways from like what is a Howey test that are important to understand are they ask four, four questions. There are four criteria to determine whether there is an investment contract. An investment contract is first of all, uh, is there an investment of money? Second of all is, is it in a common enterprise, 
meaning like a business organization, a formal business organization, not just like, you know, me and my friends are pooling our money to buy a pizza, but there is a business entity that I am not necessarily in charge of that is operating to turn a profit. That's the third part, that there is the expectation of profit. The fourth part is that it will be derived from the efforts of others, i.e. passively with no activity from me. Think of most JPEG NFT projects that you see that promise a game that have a whole roadmap where they tell you without having built anything how they are going to earn you money in the future for just buying their NFT. NFTs that offer staking, that promise those kind of things. People that offer token airdrops without registering those tokens or making them compliant. Those things, I believe, and legal professionals believe, will be regulated in the future. And what that means is like, I'm not fighting the board apes, love the board apes, love Yuga Labs, but I'm just using them as an example because they're notorious. Let's say in the future, a regulating body like the SEC determines board apes is an unregistered security and they are going to legislate Yuga Labs. They slap some sort of court mandate on them to pay back all of their investors, the cost of their mint, and they label that asset as an unregistered security. Here's what happens. Every Board Apes holder is going to get back from Yuga Labs the cost of mint. Not a big deal for Yuga Labs. Maybe three or $400 per ape. But that's a big deal for holders who have invested years of their lives. Some of them have built entire brands around this intellectual property and, and their assets are worth a minimum of hundreds of thousands of dollars. And all they're going to get back is a couple hundred bucks. And they're not going to be able to sell their asset because of that regulatory label. OpenSea is not going to want to list it. Nobody's going to want to buy it because it's not going to be valuable. And so they're going to come back to Yuga Labs and maybe try to bring a lawsuit against them for saying, hey, you advertised this investment to us. You exposed this to all this unnecessary risk. And if projects that are that big are going to be you know, scrutinized, you can absolutely bet that smaller projects that offer less utility are going to be scrutinized too. So be aware. Talk to a lawyer. If you are a project, absolutely you need a lawyer. Um, at the very least, you need to understand what a security is and, and do what you can to protect your investors. Don't make promises for profit that you can't keep. There are many other things. And, and the last thing I'll say is that I am not a lawyer or an accountant or a professional. So take all of this with a grain of salt. It's certainly not financial advice, but I would advise you to seek financial advice um, from someone in a better position to get it. There's little risk right now, but the risk is coming in the future when regulators catch up to us. Beautifully said. And I think there is <laughs> people are largely ignoring the regulation side of things. I know a lot of projects are still lining up with their lawyers and trying to be SEC compliant as much as they can, but they haven't done much on their end yet. So blows my mind. Yeah. No, we're gonna we're gonna see how that evolves over the next few months, I guess. It depends on how fast they really crack down on it. But I, I did want to say thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was tremendous listening to you and just kind of hearing your approach and your vision for the world and how crypto can play a role in that and the way you can bring anyone onto it so that they can play as well. It's, it's gorgeous. I love it. I love your approach and did want to close it off to you with some closing thoughts that you wanted to share to our listeners. Thank you for that. Um, Thank you for your time. I would love to do another round sometime to talk more specifically about compensation, about facts and figures, because I do think that is important to be transparent. I would just say, God, you put me on the spot. Um, look to the people who are talking about this. Bruce Lee would say it's like a finger pointing to the moon. 
don't focus on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. It's a paraphrase of the Buddha. And what it means is if you're looking at the Lambos, if you're looking at the green candles, if you're looking at the funny money and trying to become a millionaire overnight, you are, as they say in the crypto space, not going to make it. There is so much money to be made here by not focusing on the money, but by delivering value and building community and looking at wealth in ways that have nothing to do with money will make you a richer person wherever you go, whatever space you're in. If, if I lost all my money today, I would still be the wealthiest person in the room and you can be too. So thank you for that, my friends. I uh, welcome anyone to join me on any of my platforms that you can find in the link in the show notes. And I'm happy to help you as you navigate the space. Thank you, Evan. It's been an absolute pleasure. All right, guys, that is everything we have for you today. Thank you for listening. Again, make sure to check out Evan's socials linked below. He is at Conversations with Evan on TikTok and at Evan underscore man with two N's over on Twitter. If you'd like to keep up with us on Twitter, it's at Web3ConnectX. And if there's anybody you want to hear on the podcast next, reach out to us on Discord and we will try our best to get them on. But otherwise, we'll see you next week. 